The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. See how the law of Christ revealed of the kingdom. I need to explain that a little bit before we get very far. What I mean by that is the commandments that Jesus has given us are very specific. And if you remember in the Great Commission, when Jesus sent his disciples out to make disciples, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and upon earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Those commands of Jesus is what we're referring to when we say the the law of Christ. We're talking about the commandments of Jesus to us. And those commandments are consistent with the gospel. They're consistent with the kind of salvation that Jesus has provided for us. They are commandments that shock us at times when he tells us, for example, to love our enemies, to give to those who have a need and ask us to help, and we have the ability to help, those kinds of things. But they are perfectly consistent with They are consistent with the gospel and with the salvation that you've received through faith in Christ. And so what we want to think about is how the the commandments of Jesus Christ, when they are obeyed, manifest the glory of the kingdom. Uh, Francis Chan, I've heard him give this story a couple of times as an illustration when he said he was trying to explain a lot of times what we do with the commandments of Christ is we want to study them and diagram them and talk about them and have Bible studies about them, but we don't want to obey them. And he said, imagine if I told my daughter, when I get home this evening, I want your room to be cleaned up. I want you to clean your room today. He says, suppose I came home and my daughter said to me, Dad, guess what? I invited some friends over and we studied your command for me to clean my room. And we diagrammed the sentence and we had a discussion And we talked about all the implications of it and how it could apply to our lives. It was just wonderful. And he said, did you clean your room? Well, no, because we had a long Bible study or a long study of your command. The commands commands of Christ to us are given to us as a gift. They are a wonderful gift. In fact, they're called in... Romans 8, chapter 2, they're actually called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. In other words, they're the way that we experience the empowerment of the spirit in our lives and experience what it's like to live in fellowship with Jesus Christ. So these commandments are not like law versus grace. They are manifestations of grace. And and the Bible is very serious about the fact that we need to depend upon the Spirit to empower us to obey His commands. For example, there is nothing in the Scripture that commands Christians to hate people. You are commanded to love people. You're commanded to love people that are your enemies, according to Jesus. Now, in fact, what you'll discover is when you look at the commands of Christ, and they're found throughout the New Testament, that these commands are exactly what Jesus did. When you look at every single command, you can see them illustrated in the life of Jesus. Except, well, in in every way, really. I started to say, except husbands love your wives, because he wasn't married. But he does have a bride, the, the church of Jesus Christ. And so we're supposed to, husbands... 
love your wives. That doesn't mean that a husband has multiple wives. It's a distributive use. And it means every husband has a wife. That's the very nature of being a husband. And you are to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. That's a personal command from Jesus Christ to his followers. This is something that when we obey it, we are obeying not just a set of rules out here that objectively exist over here. We're obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has commanded us. And so the obedience to these commands that we find here, for example, in Luke chapter 6, are commands to us from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's personal obedience that we're talking about. So what's new about the law of Christ? Well, it sets a new standard of behavior because it talks about what's going on in the heart. It isn't externalism. It's internal to the heart. It flows from inside the change that he has made in us. And so by living in obedience to these commands, the commands of Christ, the church demonstrates the glory of the kingdom of God. Let me say again, I've explained this before, but let me say it again. The kingdom of God has existed ever since creation existed. God has been ruling over his creation. But it has come in different forms. The form that we are, the stage that we are in right now of the kingdom of God is referred to in Colossians 1 as the kingdom of God's dear son. The reason it's the kingdom of God's dear son is Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and the father told him to sit at his right hand until he made his enemies his footstool, until he comes back to reign on the earth. While he is seated at the right hand of God, we believers are in the kingdom of God's beloved son. And the the commands that we have from him is the law of this kingdom of his beloved son. And so, for example, the law of his son is that we love people. He's called us to be known for this. In fact, you remember his new commandment in, in John chapter 3, verse 14. He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another the way I have loved you. Now, what's new about that in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, uh, the people of God were to love one another. They were to love their neighbor as their self. But Jesus says, love one another the way I have loved you. Well, how is that? Well, it's what we sang about. It's the fact that he laid down his life for us. He was willing to die for us. Or as Paul puts it in Philippians 2, even though he was in the form of God, he was equal with God, he didn't think being equal with God was something that he would use for his own benefit, but he empties himself and takes on the form of a servant, comes into the world not looking like God, but looking like a man. He had a real human nature. He was willing to do that because of his love for us. And so we are called to love in the same way. So what I want to do is look at four things in this text that it says that obeying the commands of Christ by the people of God, by the church of Jesus Christ, reveals the glory of the kingdom in four different ways. And the first way is we see kingdom values. And listen to this. Listen to these words. This is, this is Jesus speaking, beginning in verse 20. And turning his gaze upon his disciples, that is, those who were his followers. Now, we've looked at this before, and we know that there was a large crowd there was made up of both his followers and other people who were just interested. They were hanging out, seeing what was going on, because they heard all these rumors about Jesus. But now he's speaking to his disciples, those who have put their faith in him. And he says, turning his gaze upon his disciples, he began to say, blessed are you, you who are in the kingdom. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
So even though you have a, a, your status in this world is poverty, you are rich because the kingdom of God belongs to you. And he goes on and he says, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. In other words, the blessing of God is sure because you're in the kingdom. You have put your trust in, in Jesus Christ. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. Leap for joy because people hate you? Yes, if they hate you because of Christ, he says, leap for joy. Your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. And he's talking about those who are rich but are not a part of the kingdom of God. Your earthly riches mean nothing if you don't have the kingdom of God, if you're not in the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for your fathers used to treat the the false prophets in the same way. So what Jesus is calling them to do is live according to truth. Jesus said he was, I am the truth, the way, the way and the life. And we are to practice telling and practicing truth with one another. We don't pretend we live truth. And according to the truth, which we can't see all the time, we're not able to observe it. We can't see that we are rich, for example, in Christ, but we are because we're in the kingdom of God. So we live according to reality. We live according to truth, not according to the way things look but according to the truth. So that's the first thing. We live according to kingdom values. We reveal what kingdom values really are by obeying these commands. For example, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who want to hurt you. It's odd, isn't it? But this is how we manifest the fact that we're living according to truth instead of just appearance. And then secondly, the kingdom... Uh, kingdom motivation in verses 27 through 38 is love. It's not just duty. Obeying the commands of Christ is not just fulfilling your duty. Obeying the commands of Christ is living according to the motivation of love because this is what he calls us to do. Listen to this. But I say to you who hear, that is believers, I say to you who hear, love your enemies Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other. Also, and whatever whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. (laughs) Give everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want to. You want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? What's the big deal if you love those who love you? He says, for even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount or more with interest. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. This is crazy stuff, isn't it? This is the commands of Christ to his people, the people in the kingdom of God. Now, I need to explain again, because I've said this before, but it's the truth, is that the only reason this can work is that Jesus is reigning over his kingdom. He's the one to whom we have bowed 
our knee and we, have, we give full allegiance to him. We obey this because he has commanded it and because he's in control of the kingdom. And listen to what he goes on to say. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. You'll be just like the Father. If you stop and think about this, this is how God treated you, isn't it? Isn't this how he treated you? He's given you what you didn't deserve. Not because you earned it, but because he wanted to give it. It's a manifestation of his character. And so he says, I want you to be like your father in heaven. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, not just, not just as your father. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Well, wait a minute. I thought that's what Christians did. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to pass judgment on everybody because we have inside, an inside track. And so we need to pass judgment. And Jesus says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Pardon here is, re- is referring primarily to this, debts. I heard a guy give a testimony about this not too long ago. Uh, someone came to him and said, we're really in, our family is really in need. I need about $400 just to survive this month. Is there any way you could loan me the money? I could pay you back in two weeks. And he said, sure. So he loaned him $400. But the guy never paid him back. And so he said he started calling him and said, I thought you were supposed to pay me back. You know, I have five children. I need this money. And he says, yeah, I'm really sorry. I'll, I'll get it to you. I'll get it to you. Pretty soon the guy moved away, never paid him back. So what did he do? Well, he did what every good... American would do, he started sending him a bill. He started sending him letters saying, you promised to pay, you need to pay this debt. And then what happened to him was that he came under conviction about this very principle. And he said, my wife and I talked about it, and we said, you know what we can do? We can pardon this debt. We can actually write it off. Anybody in business knows that you're going to, if you are in, in a typical business in a community, you're going to have to write off a lot of debt. But the amazing thing about this is he discovered that this was the greatest relief he had ever experienced. He simply sent the guy a letter with, he had a little thing f- f- uh, filled out that the guy signed, the debt he had, the $400 debt. He put paid in full and sent it to him. And then the guy started feeling guilty and called him up and wanted to pay him, wanted to start making payments on his $400 debt. But he said, what I really realized was I was set free. I released the debt and it released me. And you say, well, that's crazy. Well, why did God do it for you? Why did he do that for you? One of the primary words for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is redeemed. And that's what redemption is. It's paying a ransom price to set you free. He paid your debt. You've seen the t-shirt that says he paid a debt he didn't owe. I had a debt I couldn't pay and he paid a debt he didn't owe. That's what Christ did for you. Well, here Jesus is commanding his followers to have the same kind of attitude to those, to those who are indebted to them. Isn't that crazy? Come on, admit it. See, this is kingdom truth. 
And this only appeals to those who believe and understand that because they put their faith in Christ, that they are in the kingdom of his dear son, of his blessed son, beloved son. And so it's just a matter of, am I going to obey Christ or not? Am I going to experience this kind of freedom? In fact, that's the whole point of that word. To be pardoned and to pardon others means you're set free. I was in business for quite a few years, a small business, and and um, every year we had to write off debt. And I discovered that it was really a freeing thing when you had somebody who just wouldn't pay and couldn't pay to just write it off, to pardon them. It had nothing to do with my Christianity back then. It had to do with it was just so much easier. Well, Jesus says this is how we're to treat each other, that we pardon. This is actually the word that's used for divorce, sending a partner away. But in this case, it's talking about debt. It's okay to divorce your debt, but not your, not your husband or wife. So he says, give and it will be given to you. Give and it will be given to you. How can that be? Because Jesus is in charge of his kingdom. And look at what it says. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. There's a little interpretive problem here. In your, if, you're not, if you don't have a New American Standard, it says, it says he will pour it into your lap. And here's the reason. In some, in, in some uh, translations, they assume this is talking about God. In the New American Standard, because it's a plural, it says they will pour it in, assuming that it's those that you give to, they're going to give back. But the reason that the other translations say he is because that's exactly how it could be translated. Because often in the Bible, when there is a, when there is a plural noun like, a plural verb like this, a plural subject, it, and it can be referring to God himself. In fact, God's name in the Old Testament is plural, Elohim. And so they believe that this is God. But perhaps he uses the people that have been blessed to pour into your lap. The word lap there means uh, fold. It's talking about when, you went, when a lady went and got grain, a wife went and got grain, uh, she would simply produce a, a, create a fold in her, in her garment and they would pour the, the grain into that fold and then she would secure it with a belt or something. And that's why when he uses this kind of words here, when he says, uh, um, they will pour it into your lap or into your fold, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You know how it is when you get grain and you pour grain into a container, you can shake it and it'll settle down. He says, that's what it is. They're going to give you so much back that you won't even be able to compare it. But he's talking about the activity of the king of the kingdom. It's kind of like what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 8, when he says, it isn't the prosperity gospel. It's not give in order that you might receive, but it's it's, if you want to give, God will make it possible for you to give. He will supply what you need to give to meet the needs of others. Now, where he says that in 2 Corinthians, he's taking an offering for some needy Christians in Judea who are going through a time of great financial depression. 
So he's taking an offering from these Gentile Christians to give to the Jewish Christians back in Judea. And he says, if you want to give to meet their need, God will provide it. It isn't uh, this. He wasn't a radio preacher or TV preacher saying this. This is the Apostle Paul explaining, if you want to be a part of this, God will make it possible for you to be able to give. And it's kind of the same thing here. He's saying you can be free hearted. You can respond in love to people when they're in need. If somebody comes to you and says, I'm really in a jam. I don't know what to do. I can't pay my bills. And you have the means to help them. Jesus is saying, give. Give, and, and God will take care of you. Now, I think there's plenty of us here who could testify that that is exactly the truth. That's exactly how it works. God is able to enable his people to be motivated by love for others who are in need. They don't have to be so calculating that they say, well, this is crazy. If they would have watched their money as carefully as I watch my money, they wouldn't be in this mess. And that may be true. But the point is this, is that we're living in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God's beloved son. And Jesus is the king. And this is the command of the king. And so when I give in response to the king, when I give to others in response to the king, I can be sure that my obedience to the commands of the king is going to display the truth about the kingdom of God. You know what's going on right now in our country especially is the church is being vilified in a lot of ways. And what we're being marked by is everything we're against as a people, as a movement. So if you were to ask a person on the street, what, what, do you think, what, is, what do you think about Christians? Well, they hate this, they hate this, they hate this, they don't like this, they're against this, and they're against this. No, there's something much more important about the kingdom of God's beloved son. And that is we live according to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Yes, it looks odd, but it's obedience to the king of glory who's able to not only meet our needs, but to use us as conduits through which he passes his blessings on to other people. And so the, the motivation of the kingdom is seen in our interaction with people as love. I, there's a real simple principle. You cannot witness anybody that you don't love. Oh, you could mechanically. You could say to them, I don't know if you've heard, but Jesus died for your sins. He was buried, rose again, and if you believe on him, you'll be saved and your sins will be forgiven. But if you don't like them, if you don't love them, that gospel presentation is going to fall as flat as you, as you could ever imagine. Sharing the gospel with somebody is an act of love towards that person and for the God of the universe and for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what you, are, what you are calling them to do is to receive the most important, glorious gift that they could ever receive. You know, in Second Thessalonians 1, it says that it characterizes hell this way, being apart from the manifest presence of God and the glory of his power. That's a horrible thing to think about, isn't it? A person being totally separated 
from the manifestation of God's love and power? You think, well, they haven't experienced it anyway. Oh, they do every day. Everybody in this world experiences it every day. Every time a father looks into the face of a baby, his little child, he's seeing a manifestation of the love and power of God. And imagine being separated from that. That's a horrible thing, isn't it? Well, guess what? We have the, we have the privilege We have this opportunity by obeying the commands of Christ to demonstrate the love and power of God. What would ever motivate you to do that? What would ever motivate you to give like that? What would ever motivate you to love people like that? The Lord Jesus Christ. I asked a guy the other night who sang as a gathering we had, and he was singing a couple verses of uh, How Great Thou Art, and he was really broken up over it. And so I asked him, why does that song get to your heart like that? Why does it make you cry? Why does, why does thinking about expressing from your heart the truth of who Christ is, why does it get to your emotions, your affections? That It's touched you at the deepest level of who you are, hasn't it? Who Christ is. It's why Christians sing, because singing is a manifestation of the soul. The soul is referred to as the symphony, the the emotions are rather the symphony of the soul. When we're called living souls, because we feel life, we don't just observe life, we feel life. It touches us. And that is because we've been created in the image of God, and we have this capacity So we have the capacity to love in the power of the Spirit, to love in a supernatural way. And and then the third thing is when the church uh, obeys the commands of Christ, we manifest kingdom healing. And it's seen in integrity. Integrity is a word that means there's, there's wholeness on the inside. Now, in, the, in, the, uh, in biblical times, this word integrity or sincerity is sometimes translated was a picture. It meant no folds. It's like a, a sail that's filled with wind. There was no imperfections in it. Or a, a piece of pottery that had been made by somebody. And typically pottery was made by individuals. But what would happen is if it had a crack in it, after they baked it and had a crack in it and really wouldn't hold any liquid, they could patch it up by putting wax in it. That was a second-rate piece of pottery. And so what people would do is if they were, if they were trying to buy a piece of pottery, they want to make sure it was, had integrity, they would hold it up to the light and see if there was any wax in the cracks. And integrity meant there was wholeness and completeness. It's also referred to as sincerity. Well, listen to what... Jesus says, he says, he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? And the reason he's given this parable, he's saying to you this, you have to grow in the Christian life so that people can follow you as you follow Christ. Because a blind man can't lead a blind man. He says, will they both not fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher or a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Can you picture that? A log in your eye, and you're trying to get the speck out of your neighbor's eye? You see, there's got to be real 
growth, real integrity, real wholeness. What we say and feel and do has to have integrity to it. He says, or, or can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your, uh, that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. I don't see what's going on in my own heart, but I want to fix your heart. You probably have had people do that to you, haven't you? I've done that to people, I'm sure. He says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For there's no good tree which produces bad fruit. We can pretend to be something we're not, but it's going to show up eventually. The reality is going to show up. He says, nor is there a, on the other hand, is there a bad tree which produces good fruit? The reason you can tell a tree is a good tree, it bears good fruit. The way that you can tell that a Christian is actually following Christ is that they bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of Christ. He says, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth what is evil. In other words, the fruit reveals the truth about the nature of the tree. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. His mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Is that a scary thought? His mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. Filling the heart means what's controlling your heart. What's controlling your heart is going to come out of your mouth. In fact, in Ephesians 5.18, you know that verse. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then what does he say? He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In other words, if the Spirit is filling you, then what's going to come out of your mouth is going to be a manifestation of the Spirit. And so in our conversations with one another, what comes out of our mouth, what fills our heart is going to be revealed in what we say. That's a hard lesson to learn. I've been learning that recently, and I hate it. (laughs) I hate it because people close to you point out to you that what's coming out of your mouth means there's something going on in your heart that's being revealed in what you say and the way you say it. I love the fact that uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, it talks about sincerity that we ought to live our lives with sincerity. Hoplos means without falls, as I was saying, with like a, like a sail on a boat that is filled with wind and it's, there's no folds in it. And what they're seeing is really the truth about the person. This is, is something, isn't it, that God actually... I had, a, I had a grandson come to me this past week and he was talking to me and he said, you know, I've been reading the Bible a lot and... You know what, I don't think Christians are just, I, I hate to say this, I'm going to make somebody mad, but it, says, it doesn't seem to me after reading the Bible a bit more that Christians are just good conservatives. They actually live differently. They actually begin to look like Christ in the way that they live. 
He was, he was running some of these radical passages like this, love your enemies. And that's the truth, isn't it? And the thing that, if you stop and think about your experience with Christians, you have met those Christians who are radical in their love for Christ. And they, and they show it in the way they treat people. They're not known for who they hate. They're not known for who they disagree with. They're known for the fact that they are people who love. And they even love difficult people. And they want to see people receive this glorious gift of salvation in Christ Jesus. There's one last thing. Finally, he says, by obedience to the the commands of, of Christ... Uh, we see that kingdom obedience is personal. What I mean by this is obedience in the kingdom isn't just obeying a set of rules. That's what had happened to Israel. God gave them the law, the Mosaic law, written on stones, which that was the Ten Commandments. There was many more laws that explained it. But what had happened was it had become some objective thing that was in a book. I have a friend that used to go to our church, and he's in a, a church that's very litigious, and they've had about four courts church courts that he had to be a part of defending somebody and he was telling me how much he hated it because accus- I don't know if you've ever been in this kind of a church where they actually hold church courts and they bring people up on charges and they present evidence to, dis- to bring guilt upon them and what, what we are told is that the reason we obey is not because somebody can show us, show us in a book that there is a rule that says you shall not do this, but it's because of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's because the one that you love supremely has commanded you. He has commanded you, and when that hits your heart, when it's the, when it's the commandment of Christ, in fact, listen to what Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? The real issue is what has Jesus commanded his people to do? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and it could not shake it because it had been well built, been built on a rock. Now, obviously what he's talking about is, he's talking about what have you built your life upon? Have you built your, your, your life upon a solid rock foundation? And in the context, he's talking about obeying the commands of Christ. You know, for, for one thing, let me just give you one example. Racism sometimes permeates churches, and it's horrible because it's so unlike Jesus Christ and unlike the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ controls, the, it, it sets us free, and the commands of Jesus Christ gives us direction. I sometimes think of it like this. If you were to hire an investment counselor, and, and somebody you had great confidence in, and he looked at your whole situation, he says, well, what you ought to do is you ought to get rid of this and this, and you ought to invest in this. If you trusted him, you would do what he said, wouldn't you? I mean, that's why, you, that's why people hire investment counselors. 
And most of us say, we don't have enough money to invest. We don't know anything about this. But this is what they tell me. Well, Jesus Christ has told you how to live. It isn't, it, we, we understand it's not obeying these commandments that saves you. What saves you is faith in Jesus Christ. But if you want to live in the kingdom of God and flourish, if you want to build a life that can stand the storms of life and still remain, you have to have an ear to hear and you have to respond in obedience even when it's difficult, when it goes against the grain in your life to obey the, the commands of Jesus Christ. He says, the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built his house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. I want to just make this point. Obeying Christ brings rich blessings to the life of the disciple. Obeying the commands of Christ brings rich blessings to our lives. And I want to give you just two examples in this text. The first one is in, verse, in verses 17, or 37 and 38. This is what he says again. And this is how we embrace these, these blessings, by listening to his commands and obeying his commandments. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. I want to tell you, this is going to be very mysterious to people outside of the faith, that God brings this kind of blessing to the life of those who live their lives in obedience to the commands of Christ, just because they trust him more than they trust any group no matter what their title is or what their label is, they trust Christ above all things. More than any world ruler, more than any organization, any website that gives you insight about everything, more than any conspiracy theory, they trust Jesus Christ. And if you trust Jesus Christ, this is his point. He will bring blessing to your life, rich blessing to your life. And then the second example is what we just read, and that's verses 46 through 49. What do you call me, Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? If you will listen to what I say, Jesus says, and you obey these commandments, it, it's like building your life on a solid foundation. A guy told me the other day about talking to his son, and his son was having a horrible time. He's not a believer and he was, things really crashed on him. Everything went bad, lost his job and all kinds of stuff. And he says to him, well, son, you have not built, you've built your house on sand. And now you're facing a huge trial. And what you need to do is you need to start building your life on the rock. Christ Jesus. Because if you don't, when storms like this come, it's going to wash your life away. See, there are rich blessings in, in obeying the commandments of Christ. This doesn't have anything to do with being a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a Presbyterian or anything else. It has to do with having a relationship with Jesus Christ and him having your ear. Did you hear what he said? You who hear. Over and over again throughout the Bible, it talks, it uses this expression. He who has an ear to hear. And the church, to the churches, seven churches in the book of Revelation 
Chapters two and three, it says, in every case, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you listening to Christ? Do you take seriously his commandments to you that seem so odd? Maybe you're just not the kind of person who would love his enemies. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the kind of person he's going to make you. And that's the kind of person that you're going to display when you love your enemies, when you bless those who curse you. You know what cursing is, right? I'm not going to give you any examples, but you know what cursing is. It's when you put a curse on someone. But he says instead, when they curse you, what do you do in response? Learn some worse words? No, you bless them. Is that odd or what? But that's the command of the king, of the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? It's so radical. And you see, the reason that this displays the glory of the kingdom, it displays the fact, it makes clear the fact in our lives, by our lives, that Jesus Christ is ruling over the present form of the kingdom of God. We are totally dependent upon Jesus to come through for us, aren't we? Well, we are if we obey his commandments. If we obey the commandments of God, we are depending upon Jesus Christ to fulfill his promises to us. That's called, you know what that's called, right? That's called faith. Faith isn't believing something that's not true. Faith is believing the testimony of the person that you trust the most. Faith is believing what Jesus says about the issues of life. And so I would encourage you to pay attention to the commandments of Christ because you're a follower of Christ and he is your Lord. And not only is he your Lord, he's your savior. He's the one who laid down his life for you. He's the one who loves you more than anybody else has ever loved you. And every time you think of like Romans chapter five, verse eight says, God is continually, continually recommending his love for you in that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. So you can trust his commands. You can trust his commands. And he is the only one that you can absolutely trust. The only one that you can absolutely trust. So when you take in his commandments in the way you're supposed to treat people, I became really convicted about this because I realized that it's easy to get really wise in this world's wisdom and never let yourself get into a situation where you're going to be taken advantage of. And yet Jesus says, no, this is what I want you to do. When somebody comes to you with a need and you have the means to meet that need, meet it. Now you have to determine, is it really a, me- is it really a need? <laughs> or is it just some whim that a person has? So I would appeal to you in, in the name of Jesus Christ that you would pay attention to the commandments of Christ and have faith and confidence in him and build your life on the rock. When we started our building campaign, that was our theme, building on the rock. Now, we're building on a bunch of sand down the street, but um, 
We're building the church on Jesus Christ. He's building the church upon the true foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us as his people. Father, I come before you now and ask that you would work in our lives, in our lives as your people. I pray for anyone who's here and does not know Christ personally, has never come into a living relationship with him. I pray that their eyes would be open to the gospel, that they would be influenced by Christians who are clear on the gospel. They would come to put their trust and faith in Christ and experience this new birth. But I pray for us who know him, us who know him, Father, that we would take seriously the fact that you have given us this gift of his commandments to us. You've given us the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And I pray that you would teach us to obey these commandments because we know that these are the commandments of the king of the kingdom of God. And we want to build our house upon the rock. We want to, we want to live in such a way that you can use us as conduits through which the grace of God is poured out into the lives of others. Jesus said, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who is trusting me, believing in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We want that. We want to live like that. We want to see those evidences flow out of us, Father, into the lives of other people. So I pray, in your grace, would you open our eyes, Father, to the significance of living our lives in obedience to the commandments of Christ. I pray you would empower us by the Spirit to obey you even when it's hard, even when it seems so contradictory to our, our nature, the way that we are, because all of us, Father, have the flesh. We all know what it's like to be selfish. So I pray, oh God, that you would teach us the joy, the wonderful joy of living in response to the commandments of a Savior who loved us and died for us, and has been raised for us. I just pray, bring this message home to our hearts, Father. Make a change in our life, I pray, because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.